Welcome to another episode of Raising OKC Kids, Conversations with Metro Family in Oklahoma City. I'm Kirsten Holder, and today we're talking with Rabbi Abby Jacobson, Rabbi for Emanuel Synagogue here in the Metro, and she's also the current president and longtime board member of Interfaith Alliance of Oklahoma. I think you might already guess why we're talking to Rabbi Jacobson today in the midst of the turmoil that 2020 has brought. Uh, we're so thankful for you being here today. Welcome, Rabbi Jacobson. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. So Interfaith Alliance Oklahoma is a local chapter of a national movement of at least 38 states. They are nonpartisan, clergy-led, grassroots organizations dedicated to promoting the positive, healing role of faith in civic life and challenging intolerance and extremism. With over 150,000 members drawn from more than 50 traditions, and even those with none at all, Interfaith Alliance aims to encourage compassion, civility, and mutual respect for human dignity in an increasingly diverse and I'll add divisive society. The work of Interfaith Alliance organizations spans from school bullying to health improvement to legislation support at both the state and national levels. So Rabbi Jacobson, from your standpoint as a rabbi and leader within Interfaith Alliance, what do you see as the top three biggest challenges that 2020 has brought on? Yeah, thank you, I appreciate the question. Um, uh, I can sort of hear people populating a list of, of what they think three, the three biggest challenges are. Um, uh, I would respectfully submit that COVID-19 is one of the top three challenges. Um, but I would also say that lack of trust in one another in society is an incredibly large challenge, as well as, I think, fear-mongering. And I think that one of the easiest ways to, not easiest, one of the cheapest ways to motivate people is to tell them that they're afraid of something or that they should be. And I don't know about you, I feel like my life is a lot more complex than I signed on for. And, um, you know, I have to be my own medical expert and health advocate, even though I have a doctor. And I have to be my own legal advocate, even though I have a lawyer. And I have to be my own spiritual advocate, even though I have clergy. Most people have clergy, I am clergy, but <laughs> I think you get what I mean. Um, and you know, I have to be—I have to be so active in everything I do, even though I'm supposed to have other people to trust. Um, it feels like a, a cheap way of motivating. You know, aren't you afraid that? And um, oh yeah, okay. Well, if I'm afraid, I'm going to run in that direction, or I'm going to spend a lot of time worrying more about that thing. And um, I think it's so hurtful, and so counter to what community is supposed to be. Communities were formed so people weren't afraid, so that people could feel protected and safe and, um, and trust one another. And I think that um, fear makes us buy stuff, and I think fear makes us vote, and I think fear makes us, um, you know, change our habits. And I if I had the divine chessboard at my disposal, I'd be so interested to know what the last year would have looked like if our institutions had focused on helping us feel safe instead of helping us feel afraid. So, my two cents. I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, it 
fear is definitely, I think, one of the most defining terms that comes to all of our minds. Like you said, when we're running through the top three checklist items of uh, 2020 fear, I think in every household, no matter where you come from, no matter what your situation looks like right now, we are, that we feel the ground shaking beneath us. And so I think you are just spot on. Um, Thanks, and I think especially those of us with kids. Because, you know, what's our job as parents, right? Mm-hmm. Tell them there's nothing to be afraid of. Lie to them and tell them there's nothing to be afraid of. Convince them that they are safe so that when they do realize that the world is a scary place, they can come at it from a feeling of safety and combat something with bravery rather than anxiety and blind terror. So, you know, <sighs> challenges of parenthood in 2020. That's right. And who doesn't want... Um our kids to have better than what we had. So maybe in telling them, don't be afraid, we're trying to tell ourselves, don't be afraid. <laughs> Hoping they'll be more courageous than we are, <laughs> crossing our fingers at least. <laughs> yeah. So you have been a longtime board member of Interfaith Alliance, and um, I assume as have worked alongside some of the most noteworthy Oklahoma faith leaders um, yes. from a multitude of backgrounds. And with the many divisions our country has faced this year, and uh, you know, many of them will continue in 2021. It's not, you know, the magic timeline that ends, especially after all this year has brought. Why is it important to learn from those inside and outside our network of friends or family, um, or even have conversations with those that are different um, belief backgrounds than you? Uh, and maybe what are some of the ways that Interfaith Alliance of Oklahoma is fostering that communication within our society? Thanks, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, you know, as the Interfaith Alliance, we try and always try to bring people a unique insight into other people's faith traditions. Um, a few years ago, we started, back when we could get together safely, we started holding our annual meeting at different houses of worship during their holidays so that people could experience a religious, not a holiday necessarily in the ritual sense, but the environment, the food, the music, in one case, the dancing, which was pretty amazing. Um, the building, the decorations, and here a little bit, um, to have a little bit of a light immersive experience without going to a house of worship and sitting through a worship service. Um, you know, we've done, uh, since we went virtual, we've done zooming in on other, uh, on various religions where we get 20 or 30 minutes to hear from one or more practitioners of that religion or clergy people and see whether, um, you know, we can, we can ask some of the questions we've all been wanting to know. Um, and, and see, at least see pictures of things within the worship space and hear about um, the challenges being faced by those particular religions right now. Um, you know, the Interfaith Alliance also does intentionally interfaith um, community service, um, where we mix people, when we can get together in person, we mix people together in intentionally interfaith groups to go serve at the food bank or, um, you know, uh, paint stuff and pot stuff at a domestic violence shelter, all sorts of things that we've done in the past. Um, just because I think, you know, again, that fear and that trust, because, you know, um, if we, I have a massive sweet tooth, so I hope you'll excuse me, but my favorite flavor of ice cream is vanilla. 
but I won't eat at an ice cream place that only has vanilla. If you can't knock up a decent chocolate, there is something wrong with the vanilla that I'm not seeing. And I know that all that ice cream is still good ice cream, but I just feel like a society that can only really support one religion or one culture or one viewpoint is a deeply unhealthy society. And even if that viewpoint is my viewpoint, it's there's a reason we visit Disney World and don't live at Disney World. Um, we can only handle that level of homogeneity and feeling like we are the only right person in the world. We can only handle that for so long. And of course, all the other answers that we as parents, you know, expose your children to different things because they will be exposed to them anyway. Best that you expose them to those people and those ideas so that they get an, a sense of what you think and a sense of your reaction. Um, but also, you know, I mean, there are many parents in the metro area for whom taking their children to the grocery store or to school is not an interfaith experience. And it is an interfaith experience every time we walk out of our front door. Um, and so, you know, we are constantly challenged as Jews and we are 0.002% of the Oklahoma population, I think. Um, we are constantly challenged to interact with people who think differently than we do. So it's Christmas lights, or it's what is Santa bringing you for Christmas, little girl, which my children have to learn to answer that question by the age of four. Not that they're offended by it. They do sort of go deer in the headlights the first couple of times it happens. Um, but, you know, I'm trying to teach them the person who is speaking to you genuinely cares about your happiness and wants to know that you're going to be happy this December. And the fact that you celebrate a different gift-giving holiday in December, it's not a chance to shake your finger at an old person. It's not, God forbid, it's not a chance for conflict. It's just a little bit of understanding. What is Sandra bringing you for Christmas this year? Actually, we celebrate Hanukkah and I'm hoping to get an iPad. And, um, you know, being able to speak respectfully to someone who is only showing you love and is only showing you kindness uh, is so important. And, um, you know, when we, when, when we talk to our kids, we always say that God created many different kinds of people and people with many different beliefs, even within Judaism, right? Why are we walking to synagogue on the Sabbath and all these people are driving? Can't we drive? It's raining or it's hot or I'm tired or I'm 10 or whatever is going on. We say, you know, listen, people come to religion different, even our religion, people come to our religion differently and they're gonna do what they think is right, what makes them happy and hopefully what they think is best for their relationship with God and their relationship with the community. As long as they're not hurting anybody, great. They have a different way of doing things, but there are great things about the way that we do things too. And there are reasons why we do these things. And let's talk about them. You know, one in 
what is it, one in three Americans, according to the last Pew Research report, will die in a different denomination or religion than they were born into? One in three. Wow. So I got three kids. Right. <laughs> Statistically, one of them's going somewhere, even if it's to a different kind of Judaism. Um, you know, statistically, that's going to happen. And we're huge Star Trek fans. I think statistically, one of my kids is going to be a cheerleader. <laughs> what am I going to do when that happens? I don't know. I have no idea. I'm an indoorsy kind of kid. But you know what? We're going to love them because they're our kids. And we're not going to shun them because they're different. And I know loving Star Trek is not a religion to most people. <laughs> I know religion is really important. I also know that the society that we have right now is very welcoming to certain kinds of people, but that's not always going to be the case. And when we make sure that we have good relationships with people, changes in the broader society are not going to marginalize anybody. So that when, you know, I, I think there are more people now who support prayer in public school than there were when I was in public school. And for people who support prayer in public school, that must be a huge relief. For people who do not support prayer in public school, that must be kind of terrifying. Um, and I don't think, I certainly can't, change that to fix, fix, you know, society to agree with me and keep it there for all times. So instead, let me have friends who pray in school and let me have friends who don't. Let me have friends who support public prayer in school and let me have friends who are Muslim or Jewish and have afternoon worship and have to find a teacher that they can go quietly pray in the classroom. And let me have friends who sit quietly and say grace over their food before they eat. And let me see a table full of atheists and people who are spiritual but not religious go quiet because Jerry has to say a prayer. Not because he asked them to, but because they wanted to be respectful of him. And let me hear my kids say a quiet blessing over their food and strike up a conversation with the kid sitting next to them to say, hey, you pray over your food? I thought you were Jewish. Oh, you don't call it grace, you call it something else. And now look at all the bonds we've fostered so that the next time we have the conversation about prayer in school, it's not yes or no. It's about how can we make everybody respectful of everyone else's needs and how can we make sure that everybody's needs are met so that the kids who need to pray during school time and the kids who need not to see prayer during school time and everybody in between are happy. And now we're having that conversation with trust. We're having that conversation with bravery instead of fear and rhetoric. That, I'm, I'm blown away by everything you just said. I'm, I think I speak for those listening to that. Um, our humanity, at least what I'm hearing you say, is our humanity is what makes us, what connects us. Yeah. Um, whether it be through the service projects that you were mentioning uh, that the Interfaith Alliance helps to foster in Oklahoma, whether it be the flavors of ice cream, <laughs> whether it be, uh, you know, your ritual before a meal, um, we have more in common than we don't. 
<laughs> um, and that that is a beautiful thing. And finding those commonalities rather than being threatened by them, I think, is a learned skill that, again, we need to foster as parents, um, which kind of leads into our next question. We are all human, something we have in common. And another thing in common, we all love to be right. <laughs> and it feels very threatening uh, when those around us, especially when those close to us, I think, have different beliefs, um, whether they are just personal, you know, vanilla ice cream over chocolate ice cream over strawberry ice cream, or whether they're a little bit more serious, uh, religious or political. Can you give us an example of a time when you witnessed, two, witnessed true reconciliation between two opposing parties? Yeah. Um, um, a few years ago, must be about 40, four years ago now, three to four years ago, a group of clergy from Oklahoma, the Tulsa area and the Oklahoma City area, um, uh, Jews, Christians, and Muslims all went to the Holy Land to have a, uh, a tour that focused on both uh, Israeli and Palestinian cultural and historic ideas, as well as Jewish, Christian, and Muslim religious ideas. Um, a chance to hear each other's narratives. We had two guides, one Israeli Jew, one Palestinian Muslim, um, for everything. And we got to go see the Holy Land in, through each other's eyes. So we all went to the Holocaust Museum together. And we all went to the um, uh, Palestinian refugee camps together. And we all went to, um, we all went to both the Jewish quarter and the Muslim quarter and the Christian quarter of the old city in Jerusalem. And um, we had, uh, Muslims who would not enter the Dome of the Rock because the rest of us were not allowed to go in. We had Jews who would not go to places because everyone else was not allowed to go in. We had people who went to worship with one another. One of the most moving things my uh, colleague and uh, founder of the Respect Diversity Foundation Michael Korenblit, who is the, the son of two Holocaust survivors and who has made um, anti-bullying, Holocaust and diversity education the cornerstone of his parents' memories and the cornerstone of their family life in Oklahoma. Uh, pray at the mosque in the old city of Yafo with our Muslim colleague and dear friend, Imam Dr. Imad Anchasi at the mosque that his grandfather used to run before the establishment of the modern state of Israel that uh, caused them to be refugees. And as a Jewish person, as a, an unapologetic Zionist who loves Israel, it is very hard for me to uh, reach out to hear a Palestinian story, to hear many Palestinian stories, but I knew it was important. And there was a lot of stuff I didn't want to hear. 
but it was good for me to hear because it was the authentic experiences of my friends and the authentic experiences of people that we knew. And because their stories are part of the Holy Land, both their stories of beauty and love and their stories of pain, and they are part of the Holy Land. And I want people to know about the Holocaust and the pain that my family suffered. And it is incumbent on me to listen to their pain as well. And that means re-examining what it means, what it means for me to seek out other people's stories. Um, I don't just want to hear stories of other people's pain though. I wanna hear stories of other people's beauty because I know the Holocaust is important, but what's more important than the Holocaust is the beautiful communities that were destroyed by Hitler. And I think what is important is the Palestinian story of how they spent their time as the Jewish state of Israel was being reestablished in the Holy Land. What is more important is the beauty of their culture and the culture that they had before 1948 and how their culture continues today. And in the same way that I think it's good for my kids to try new foods, it's good for me to try new things too. Um, you know, when we talk about being right, I don't want to talk politics about being right, but I'll talk religion all day. <laughs> um, my religion is the only right one for me. Now, Jews generally do not believe that Judaism is the only right religion in the world. There is nothing in Judaism that promises us a place in heaven at the expense of other people. Um, Jews believe that everyone has a place in what we call the world to come or heaven. And I still believe that of all those flavors of ice cream, there's only one for me. Of all the religions in the world, this is the only one for me. It's the only right one that I want. It's the one that my husband and I share that we want our children to share. At the same time, encounter with other religions has never changed my children's minds. I think a lot of people are afraid. They take their children to another house of worship that they're going to start thinking it's okay to convert to that religion, or they're going to start thinking that I want them to be that way. I don't think so. It certainly hasn't been my experience, but of course, like I said, 0.002% of the population, I don't have a choice. I have to encounter other people's choices every day, um, whether it's how amazing Christmas is and Hanukkah is just a small holiday, or whether it's, gosh, that barbecue place smells really good. Why don't we ever go there? And hey, can't we come back? Go back, go back, go back. I want a McDonald's too. I want a Happy Meal. All the things that we can't have because they're not kosher. They don't conform to the dietary laws that we believe are commanded by God. So when I expose my children to people who believe differently than I do, I started out like everyone else worrying that it was going to make them run after a Christmas tree. I want a Christmas tree and I'm going to go get one. I want a McDonald's Happy Meal and I'm going to go get one. It really hasn't. It's given them an appreciation that it's okay for them to be a little different and it's okay for them to have their own opinions and it's good for them to have friends who are different and it's strengthened their understanding of why they like where we are, even though it costs them a McDonald's Happy Meal.
They'll never have a McDonald's Happy Meal. But it strengthened them in our beliefs. And now my kid, especially my seven-year-old, will fight you over anybody's right to anything. So Christmas lights started going up before Halloween. And somebody in the car said, oh, the Christmas lights are up already? Seven-year-old jumps up. Don't you dare say anything bad about them. That is their right to be proud of their holiday. And you know what? She was right. And I'll tell you, I had a similar argument back when I was in college and feistier than I am now. Um, I was living in Jerusalem my year after college. Um, and it was, uh, it was December. In the Holy Land, there really isn't a lot of Christmas because there aren't really a lot of Christians. So it's not a day off work for most people, which sounds familiar to how I feel in America. None of my major holidays, people don't decorate for them or care about them and it's hard to get the right foods. And so I'm in a shop in the open air market in Jerusalem and I see there are chocolate Santas and chocolate bunnies in December. <laughs> Mr. Shopkeeper, you have the wrong candy out. He said, what? Some Christian holidays have candy. No, 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 no. The bunnies are for April. And he got mad at me. He was like, well, what do you care? It's just some Christian holiday. It's Christian candy. I'm like, listen, you have to get the right candy. But it's chocolate. doesn't matter. You put out the fat red guy in December. You take the bunnies and you put them away until April. That's what you do because you got to be respectful. Right. And like, what does it matter? Isn't it funny? Ha ha. Like they've got the Easter candy out because they don't know about Christianity. Ha ha. But at the same time, like how isolating does it feel to be the only one of you around? Mm -hmm. And how much better does it feel when people are all trying to look out for each other together and all trying to make sure that we're, that we're okay? Because I'll tell you as a minority faith community, my being a minority faith strengthens my desire to fight for the rights of the majority faith too. Mm. It does not make me want to take Christmas away. It makes me want to add room for Hanukkah mm -hmm. and to add room for people who don't have a gift giving holiday in December. It makes me more likely to fight for Christmas too and to fight for inclusion and to fight for diversity because I know if I don't fight for everybody, I am doing a disservice. In my opinion, I'm doing a disservice to God who taught me, you Jews shall have no other gods besides me. They didn't, God did not say there are no other gods. God did not say there are no other religions. God said, you Jews have this one with me and not, we even have the idea that God has to speak in a language that each culture will hear. So if God is choosing to have different religions to speak to different people's strengths and cultures, who am I to disagree? I should be fighting for those as God-given, and I am. Well, first of all, I love that you keep using um, dessert analogies, because once again, I think this is something that all of us can relate to. <laughs> And second, um, you touched on it again, uh, parents especially um, 
as we're monitoring our, our home language and our, our modeling behavior, need to be especially aware of fear as that motivator. You, you talked about that again. Threatening um, beliefs don't have to be threatening. They can be broken down and talked about. And um, that's something that is, is easier said than done. So I think especially as we head into um, these holiday seasons, and again, whatever holiday you're celebrating right now, you might be finding ways to come together safely. You might be coming together virtually um, with friends or loved ones. And chances are, you know, those infamous cringeworthy conversations that come up in memes <laughs> or, or other kind of satire year after year, um, those things are likely still going to come up, especially in this year when so many of them have been at the forefront of all of our minds and our conversations. Um, so do you have any tips on navigating difficult conversations with family members or friends this holiday season? I hope so. <laughs> um, my religion pushes me to ask the question, why am I having the argument? Am I having the argument because I want to be right? Am I having the argument because I'm so caught up in how right I think I am that I can't hear dissent around me? Or am I genuinely concerned with someone else's opinions? If I'm arguing because I'm right, well, I'm right. I'm self-evidently right. I don't need to convince Uncle Lou that I'm right. I don't have an Uncle Lou, by the way. It's just what came out. I don't need to convince anybody at my table that I'm right because it's right. It's so clearly right. You know what I mean? If it's that self-evidently right, why am I going to argue with a petty person who's just yelling about stuff? or who got drunk, or, and let's think about our kids again for a minute. I don't know about your kids. My kids get ornery when their needs are not being met, mm. when they're lonely, when they're hungry, when they're sad. And I expect that for every family that has an ornery uncle, cousin, younger sister, whatever that person may be, that what they'll actually find is somebody who's feeling lonely and misunderstood and out of place, or who is feeling lost and irrelevant, or who is feeling judged. And I would love to say, don't talk religion, money, and politics at the table, but what does that leave us with? <laughs> I would say though, why are they, why are they talking like that? If you genuinely want to engage them about what they're saying, because they're yelling at you for drinking from a plastic straw, or because they're yelling at you for refusing a plastic straw, or because they're eating too much meat, or because they won't eat the meat, or because they vote Democrat or Republican, or because they're happy about the presidential election or depressed about it, or because they are wearing a mask or not wearing a mask, right? So, if you genuinely want to engage them, no one likes being told they're wrong. 
and they're not going to hear you if you tell them they're wrong. And they're certainly not going to hear you if you embarrass them in front of grandma. Instead, if you genuinely want to engage them, ask them a lot of questions. Tell me more about that. I don't fully understand that. Can you explain it to me? Why is this important to you? What makes this a part of your life? Hmm. So at the end, you may not have convinced them to buy a gun and you may not have convinced them to get rid of a gun, but you've connected with their humanity more. And now they're not your stereotypical Republican voting gun-toting aunt, whoever. And they're not your stereotypical bleeding heart liberal Democrat voting no gun owning aunt. They're your aunt again. And maybe when you do that, you'll unearth why they felt this family gathering in particular was the right time to harass you about your hair or your partner or your lack of partner. And that is if you want to direct, if you want to directly confront them, because you don't have to. I know we're in a society of virtue signaling. We all have to name a, a television station and then shout what we think about that television station before we can talk about it. And I know that we all have, you know, terrible things to say about whichever president, presidential candidate, ex-president, anything. We've got them all lined up, ready to go, and those COVID restrictions, we've all got opinions about. But, like, you're not letting your side down by leaving it alone for a night. You don't have to engage every person, and you can still be faithful to the cause because it's not the right time. They're not receptive. You're not going to win a convert to your side by bothering them about it over Christmas or New Year's or any of the other holidays that are coming up. So instead, maybe deflect. I want to talk about your partner. Hey, actually, can you tell me about some of your early boyfriends or girlfriends? Hey, I was thinking, remember that recipe for that really cool jello mold you made a couple years ago? Do you still have that? Where did you get that? You know, I was thinking the other day, <clears throat> I have not heard a better version of Old Town Road than the one with Billy Ray Cyrus. What do you think? Right, let's get them talking about something different or fighting about something better or talk about football. Mm, in some houses talk about football and in some houses don't talk about football. <laughs> right? You're not letting the side down by deflecting. What you're actually doing is being a hero. Because especially for those who are, who are Christian and celebrating Christmas, if this is one of your family's two big holidays, in a year that's been this divisive, this painful, this separated and this complicated, we do not want to hear it. We want to love each other and cling to each other because so many Americans are dead now and have not got the ability to cling to their loved ones or fight with them over politics. So in this time of pain, let's cling to each other. Let's love each other. Let's find reasons to be grateful to be around each other when we can be around each other. And let's take a night off and let's help save Christmas dinner 
by helping everyone at the table feel heard and respected. Interesting, tell me more. What's important to you about this? Thank you for sharing your beliefs. My favorite, I don't agree with you, but I love hearing you talk about it so passionately. Or deflect onto something different. So go in to your holiday gathering or your New Year's party or your New Year's Zoom or for those who are not celebrating a holiday right now, dinner <laughs> or someone's birthday, Nana's 59, 59th wedding anniversary to pop pop, right? Let's go in with a few other things we can talk about that are not going to cause an argument and that are going to remind us all of what we're thankful for and of what we have and of the joy of being together. And also we'll be really, really making a good example for our children because you don't want your children harassing you every time they think you're wrong. Mm. Partially because they're usually right. <laughs> and partially because it's okay to have a different opinion about when bedtime should be. Mm. But we're not going to have a sit-in protest about it because that's not our family dynamic. So we can listen respectfully to each other and disagree about bedtime and how I'm allowed to wear my hair and how short my skirt is allowed to be and what kind of jewelry I'm allowed to wear and what kind of friends I'm allowed to have. We can be respectfully disagreeing on that as long as we're hearing each other. And you might find them mirroring you or mimicking you and coming back and saying, you know, I know you said you don't watch me, want me watching this TV show. Can you tell me more about that? And as parents, isn't that just the opening we're looking for? Absolutely. Yeah, that this year, I, I hope um, the silver lining that comes out of it is um, holding those loved ones close, like you were saying, protecting the lines of commonality rather than division, especially in our own family. Um, but our parent modeling behavior is being put to the test right now. It's easy to model behavior when your kids slept until nine, you had a hot cup of coffee instead of cold, <laughs> when breakfast was on the table before anybody was hangry. And I can't tell you how many times we've talked about the importance of snacks on this podcast. So I <laughs> thank you for bringing that up, meeting those basic needs. <laughs> Um, but really, I mean, that, that is so key. Um, you touched on the uh, air quote Uncle Lou that we all have in our lives that we still love because he's our Uncle Lou, even though we might not agree with him. I, I really appreciate those tangible, um, solid, concrete questions that we can all take away from this that we're all going to need in our bag and in our back pocket when we come up um, to those conversations before we're at the point where we're hangry because we're waiting on holiday dinner. So that is just wonderful. Uh, what programs, classes, or workshops, um, or even any other continuing support should we know to look for from the Interfaith Alliance of Oklahoma or even Emmanuel Synagogue? Thank you so much. Um, the Interfaith Alliance has some great things planned. We are entirely virtual at this point because we want to make sure that everybody is safe. Also, I don't know about you. I love that so many things are virtual now. I don't need a babysitter. They're doing their homework in the other room while I'm doing an interfaith program or, you know, God forbid, they're actually in the room listening too, right? They're interested in what I go off and do secretly by myself in these little interfaith alliance things. And now they're kind of like, hey, can I come listen to the programs too? Um, 
you know, it, that's, that's been really wonderful. And now I get to stay home for board meetings mm -hmm. and committee meetings. And I get to do a lot of my work from home. So now when I go out, I get to choose to go out instead of like, oh, not again. Mm -hmm. I have a lot more of that energy. So um, we are just a plug for optimism for people who are so sick of being fully virtual or being partially virtual. Like there may yet be good coming from this too. Um, so programs coming up, um, we've got a, uh, another in our continuing zoom in series to look at, um, <clears throat> to look deeply at the faiths of Oklahomans. Um, our next one will be about Sikhism. That's already on our website. Um, and uh, we're really excited. We are going to be partnering with the Tulsa Metropolitan Ministries, which is the Tulsa area-based uh, interfaith uh, um, clergy and congregational support um, uh, organization. We're going to be partnering with them to do a New Year's Day interfaith prayer for Oklahoma. Um, we at the Interfaith Alliance know that not everybody is comfortable with interfaith prayer. Prayer is hard enough when it's just you, but when you add in multi-faiths, trying to balance that out is so hard. And we, we are constantly trying this ourselves, and we know that for Oklahomans of faith, we know that faith is a tremendous part of how we're getting through COVID. And when our governor says pray, we're going to listen. And I wish that some of the prayers in our state were led in an interfaith way. I understand that that's not everybody's strong suit and that that's not in everybody's comfortable wheelhouse, but it is in ours and so we're gonna do it. We'll have that on our Facebook page and it'll be going up on our website pretty soon as well. Um, that's gonna be really exciting just to bring clergy from across the state together from different faith traditions. Um, you know, we are, we are also uh, really happy that we're launching a new initiative of community engagement conversations. Um, the Community Engagement Committee is going to be looking at more ways to have respectful dialogue and to bring people together to have hard conversations. Um, we've done some, we've done some great things already. Um, just finished up a really exciting anti-racism training, um, you know, but I think uh, we are, we are able to be uniquely poised in the religious diversity conversation because we've got so many diverse people around the table who really want to dive into things that are hard and really want to showcase how well we've been doing it because most Oklahomans don't know how well the interfaith community in Oklahoma functions. I mean, gold standard. We are better than a lot of places at interfaith diversity and interfaith conversation and dialogue and understanding. So, um, you know, uh, we're, we're looking forward to being able to use the Zoom format, the Facebook Live, the YouTube Live format um, to bring some of these things to people who wouldn't necessarily have the oomph to come out to a formal program, but could maybe check it out and see if the four seconds that you see scrolling through Facebook might give you a little more, want, you might want to have a little more of a taste. Um, so we know a lot of people have more disposable time on their hands than they used to. So we're hoping that some of that will be, you know, educational and not just baking bread and gardening because 
those are great too, but you got ears, you know, you can put headphones in and that kind of thing. So that's, that's what we've got upcoming. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Um, do you have any last thoughts to leave with our listeners today? Uh, maybe along the lines of what is giving you hope right now? Oh, thank you. Um, my favorite statement from the Jewish sort of post-biblical tradition in a place where there is no one, prepare yourself to be that one. Prepare yourself to be someone. We have so many things that are wrong right now. They are opportunities for us to help make things better. They are opportunities for us to help in a tangible way, in a relevant way, in a way that really does bring brightness to somebody else's day. And I, I'm not naturally an optimistic person, which is a terrible thing because moms have to be optimistic, don't we? And dads have to be optimistic because what is going to get us through two years old but optimism or, you know, sheer bullheaded determination? Um, but even I in the depths of my Eeyore-ish soul really believe that some good things are going to come out of this and maybe it's because I refuse to let this be a wasted year of my life. My life is precious and finite and my kid's childhood is precious and finite and I'm not willing to waste it. So I've had to be creative and I've had to do more and I've had to step in more but I've loved it so much not having to drive them across town to piano lessons, wait for an hour and then come back again. They can just do piano lessons on Zoom. No, it's not the same, but I don't have to spend an hour in the car to do it. And I get to spend that hour with them. And yeah, they're all around underfoot when I'm making lunch, but put on this apron and help. <laughs> they are actually participating and for my friends who have office jobs, who are now working from home, haven't we all been talking about how commuting is killing us mm -hmm. and open offices, cubicled offices, closed offices are all killing us emotionally, spiritually, and physically. Now they can work at home and that means they're going to get sick of being at home. And when their kids say, I want to go plant something in the garden, they're going to say yes, and not, oh God, don't make me go out again. And when they, when there's a concert or play or movie, they're going to say yes, and they're not going to say oh, Netflix and shut up, right? Because they're going to have that energy and be able to use some of that time, disposable time that they get to choose rather than commuting time, rather than sitting in my office time rather than, you know, Monday meetings never just take an hour. It's always the hour plus the extra time at the beginning and the extra time at the end. And that, oh, just one more thing plus having to get there and all. Like, I'm so hopeful that we will take things out of this forward into our lives and that those things are going to be good for us. And I'm... I'm also really hopeful that people will, that kids will look back on this time and say, 
I was never closer to my parents. I never understood my parents more. I never got to spend more time with, you know, with them, helping them rebuild the lawnmower and helping them bake cupcakes and doing all these things that normally I wouldn't have done. And how wonderful a gift that would be. I'm just trying my best to fill myself with hope. And I hope it's not coming out as saccharine and Pollyanna-ish because old me would smack new me silly if I tried that. Um, but, and maybe it's silly, maybe it's desperation, maybe it's not true, but you know, um, I think religion is the same way. Maybe it's silly, maybe it's not true, maybe it's a manifestation of my hopes, but it doesn't matter. It makes me a better person, helps me sleep at night, helps me be a better, better mom to my kids and a better neighbor to the folks around me. So I've got to think there's something good in that. And I've got to think there's going to be something good that comes out of this for us all. Thank you so much, Rabbi Jacobson. You have given us a lot to laugh about, a lot to cry about as I am now, and um, a lot to touch our hearts and make us think a little bit differently going into this holiday season. I, I so appreciate your time um, and your work with Interfaith Alliance and really finding those commonalities that that connect us all. So thank you again for joining us. For all of you tuning in, you can learn more about Interfaith Alliance of Oklahoma, their work, their mission, and their upcoming events, as Rabbi Jacobson had mentioned, by visiting their website, www.tiaok.org. Join us next time on Raising OKC Kids. <laughs>